If you have your Bible, let's open up to Exodus chapter 6 this morning and look forward to looking at that text together and allowing God to speak to our hearts. But I do want to again introduce myself. My name is Brian Sloan. I'm the pastor, one of the pastors at the Fields Church in Arlington, Texas. Uh, we meet in a YMCA, and I heard this what used to be a skating rink, so I feel somewhat at home uh, in a multi-purpose uh, facility. Uh, we get to set up and tear down every uh, Sunday morning and get to uh, try to be a light there at the YMCA, and it's a, a joy to uh, be there, and I miss them much, but I'm so glad to be here with you. We have so many connections. As uh, David already mentioned, uh, our relationship as pastors uh, but then Ryan entrusting his mom to, to come to our church. And uh, uh, maybe a year ago around this time, we got to baptize her. And it was just a really special opportunity for our church and for his family to get to come together uh, like that. And uh, have spent dear time with your pastors and, and just want to encourage you as a church that you are loved deeply. Uh, if you don't know that, please let me just affirm that you are loved and cared for deeply. And all that these men do to care for you as shepherds uh, is, is for your best and for God's glory. Uh, they want nothing uh, selfishly of their own, but only want for you guys to thrive and for God's name to be renowned in this city and, and as far as it can go from this place. And so be encouraged. I met, uh, met Mickey earlier this morning, a, a f- potential future elder, and uh, met Cooper and, and got to enjoy time with him. And, and then to hear Harold's prayer, uh, the man prayed the Bible this morning. Uh, what a sweet uh, opportunity to have that. that. That is my sermon, what he just prayed, uh, which is why I asked for that to be read this morning. So I, I'm thankful. I'm looking forward to being in this text because I feel it will speak to, it did speak to my heart and to many of our people's hearts recently as I preached this at my church and believe it will uh, here as well. But a couple of years ago in our church, we had an older, empty nest, uh, nesting couple who were seeking to serve the Lord a little bit more. And so uh, they were faithful, they were growing, they were, were mature in the Lord. And, and so we began helping them out with some ESL training, that they were going to start to do a class at our YMCA for those who had English as their second language, to use that as an opportunity to share the gospel. And so we got them all trained up and... We gave them a little bit of training to host one of our small groups in their home and to shepherd and care for people well, and everything was going well. And then the Lord opened their eyes to another opportunity that they might use both of those trainings to go and serve the Lord to some of the most unreached peoples of the world. And somebody had asked them, had they ever considered serving overseas? And they began praying about that and actually saw the Lord clearly opened up a door for them to go to a very unreached people in Central Asia among a predominantly Muslim people. And so very quickly did we see a lot of our input and investment into this couple then be sent overseas to uh, be used for, for God's namesake overseas. And God was clearly in it. I mean, it was so many things going right. They raised the amount of money that they needed in three months Uh, bought their tickets, and went. It was just clearly a God thing. And yet when they got there, man, it just didn't seem like things were that that way. I mean, time after time after time, hardship began to come upon them. Health issues, so much so that they needed to travel to India to get help. Financial uh, issues, partners dropping off. 
um, team struggles, visa issues, and that they had to leave and come back time and time again. And, and there were these texts going back and forth and saying, why? Why would the Lord get us all the way here only to have all of these things go wrong and us not to be able to do what we came here to do? Why? Why is all of this happening? Uh, and uh, one of the, the lady, uh, as she was walking one day, she tells the story that she was looking down as she was trained and taught to do uh, to show respect to, to those of Muslim faith and especially the men to not make eye contact. And, and as she was walking with her head down, she just sensed the Lord say, look up. Just look up and look at all that I'm doing around you. Look up and look at all that I've already done in the past. Look at my creation. And they're in one of the most beautiful places in the world, and yet her eyes had not looked at it because she had been taught and trained to look down. And she sensed as if the Lord said, Look up, look up, like it says in the Psalms. From where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so she looked to the hills, and she was overjoyed and and encouraged by that. But yet it didn't mean all those things began to go better necessarily, but yet her eyes were affixed somewhere different. Her eyes were no longer fixed in her circumstances right around her, looking down in all of the trouble and the struggle and all of the things that were going wrong, but her eyes were, again, fixed on the Lord, where our eyes ought to be this morning. And and I, I wonder about you. And I know about me that so easily I'm tempted to just look at what's going on around me. My kids get sick. You know, my wife is hurting uh, from a knee surgery. uh, Different things. My schedule's busy. This isn't going right. This is going wrong. And I begin to look at all of those things, and I begin to try to fix. I don't know about you, but I just want to fix it. I want to make this right, do all of these things. And my eyes are not on the Lord. My eyes are right around me. I'm looking down at those things. My eyes are not looking to the Lord. And so this passage was a challenge to me because I I see myself more as Israel than I do as Moses. And in Exodus chapter 6, where we are this morning up to this point, Israel's not had it well. For some 400 years, they've been struggling in in Egypt as slaves uh, among a people that was not their people and being burdened and oppressed and afflicted, it says. And yet this man, Moses, who God had raised up and called Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver his people out of the slavery, he shows up there and he tells the people that they're not forgotten. He tells the people that God had heard their prayers, that God had seen their affliction, that God saw them and knew their struggles in the midst of it, and that God remembered them. And so the people, if you look back in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 31, it says, The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. The people saw that God was about to deliver them. And they were so ecstatic that they just bowed their knees and they worshipped. We're not forgotten. God remembered us. And they get so excited, and they had this probably the greatest spiritual experience that they've had in 400 years as a people. I mean, that's revival right there. And just imagine the revivals that we've read about, you know, over the years in our own country and in other countries. Well, this was revival in Egypt. The people bowed and they worshipped. And then you have chapter 5. 
And, ex- and Moses goes back to Pharaoh to do what he's called to do. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let you go. And not only am I not going to let you go, I'm going to make things harder for you. All of the requirements that I put on you before, you have the same requirements, but I'm removing all of the ingredients to make the bricks that you need. You've got to get your own straw now. And it was impossible. It was like physically impossible for them to accomplish. The foremen were beat were beat because of their lack of fulfilling the, the, the requirement of Pharaoh up to that point. And the people in that moment, as their foremen are being beat, they're being afflicted and blamed for all of that. Where do they turn? It's not the Lord who they just worshipped a day or two before. They turn back to Pharaoh, the one who was causing all of the pain and, and worry and affliction. And how often is that who I am when you know hard times come along I turn to that thing and try to fix that thing rather than turning to the Lord in the midst of it but thankfully Moses he doesn't many 40 years ago Moses ran away from the problems that he had faced in Egypt but he had come back and followed the Lord and he wasn't doing it perfectly uh, but he was learning to walk by faith and obedience and in 20 chapter 5 verse 22 it says then Moses turned to the Lord. He turned. He fixed his eyes on the Lord. Instead of turning to Pharaoh like the people did, uh, when the people bl- looked to Pharaoh for mercy and he didn't give it, they began to blame Moses. And in that moment, Moses turns to the Lord. He looks to God for his help and he questions. In humility, I believe, he says, Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak In your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Sounds very similar to my friend Julie's prayer in Central Asia. Why? I came all of this way, God, to do this for you. And this is what I get? Why? I don't understand. Why haven't you delivered? Why haven't you brought about the salvation of your people? Why haven't you made it easy? And he questions the Lord. And he's waiting for the Lord to answer. And the Lord doesn't always answer in that moment, but he does in this moment. He answers Moses and he speaks in chapter 6. And the neat thing about chapter 6 is that it's nothing new. You know, like you would expect and would love in those moments just some fresh new word from the Lord, you know, for someone to speak into your life and for things to just radically change on that pivot hinge point. But God just repeats everything that he's already said to Moses. And very often in our lives, when we're in that hard place, we don't need anything new. We don't need to learn anything new about the Lord. We just need to act on what we already know. We just need to remember. We need to be reminded. That's why we need the church and we need faithful pastors who will preach the Word to us, not their words to us. We don't need Pharaoh's new Word. We need God's Word. And God just reminds him. We need faithful reminders. And I've seen on the walls of this place, even in the bathroom, there's a faithful reminder of God's Word on the walls. We need those reminders. We need the church. You need one another to remind one another when you find yourself in those hard places. When your eyes are affixed on your little circle and your little bubble, you need someone to pop the bubble and say, look to the Lord. Don't look to yourself. And that's exactly what God does. He pops Moses' bubble and says, look to me. 
look to me. I am the God that you need. Not Pharaoh, not your people. I am the one true God. In chapter 6, the Lord answers and says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. He says, Now you shall see. Chapter 5, he didn't see it. It wasn't time. Right? So often we want God to do something right here and right now, but now might not be God's timing for you to experience what you want to experience. He may be uh, allowing you to go through hardship so that you look to Him and trust Him. He may be trying to show that He and He alone is worthy uh, of your trust and He and He alone can deliver you. And so chapter 5 wasn't the moment when he would see that. He needed the people to be utterly desperate. They weren't desperate enough in chapter 4. After 400 years of slavery, they needed one more reminder that Pharaoh wasn't their savior and that they couldn't save themselves, which is true of us as well. The world is not our savior, and we cannot save ourselves. And now is the time that God's going to display his strong hand. And it says that with a strong hand, he'll send them out. And so we ask them, is that Pharaoh's strong hand who's sending them out? Or is that God's strong hand? And, and it seems a little unclear in our English translation, maybe the ESV, but I think some of the more smarter commentators than I have said that this very likely means by my strong hand. And if we flip backwards, we can at least even see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, where God says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. God's mighty hand is going to bring about Pharaoh's sending the people out. It's not Pharaoh changing his mind and thinking, yeah, that'll probably be what's best for Egypt. And yeah, these circumstances just happen to work out. No, there's no way that Pharaoh would have done what he did had God, with his mighty hand, not turned to him and forced him to do those things. And we need to remember the same God that turned Pharaoh is our God. And he can turn any situation in your life in his timing and for his glory and for his will if it's, if it's his desire. But so often we want it to be in our timing and in our way and, and, and all of those things. And I just want to encourage us, look to the Lord. Look to, look to the Lord like Moses did. And I want us to see here just really two, two main things this morning. Who is the Lord and who are we? And who is the Lord? The Lord shows us who He is in Exodus chapter 6, verse 2 through 8, as He just begins to describe Himself. If you like to take notes in your Bible, I'd encourage you just underline all the eyes in this passage. I mean, it's clear who this is about. It's not about Moses. It's not about the situation. It's only about God. Who is our God in this passage? God spoke to Moses in verse 2, and he said to him, I am the Lord. He actually repeats that phrase four times in these few verses. And he reminds him what he told him earlier in Exodus chapter 3 at that amazing burning bush experience. I am the Lord. He is the, the living God. He repeats himself Not only I am the Lord four times, but he repeats these reminders of who he is and who he's revealed himself. And he's beginning to remind 
uh, Moses of, of really three things. I think you've got them on your note page in front of you if you want to jot along some scriptures or some other thoughts as we kind of go through this text. I encourage you to do so. But God first reminds him, not only I am the Lord, but he reminds him that he's the almighty God of the past. He's the almighty God of the past. In verse 3, he tells Moses, I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. Or in the Hebrew, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. In verse 4, he says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Two past tense verbs of things that God had done in the past for Abraham. I appeared to them and I established my covenant with them. And I revealed myself to them as God Almighty. The one true and living God who has all power and all might to be able to do miraculous wonders in your life then for Abraham. And I'm the same God for you here now, Moses. And we are encouraged by that because He's the same God that we worship here together this morning. Whether you're from Arlington or you're from Graham, we come together this morning to worship that same God. God Almighty, who has done great and awesome things. And for them, those things were the the things of the past in Genesis. For us, when we look back, those things are the past of not only the stories we read in the Old Testament, but of Christ. We worship God because His Son Christ came and did a miraculous work for us on the cross. And so we, uh, Moses was being reminded by God Himself that He was, the, was the, the Almighty God of the past. One of the commentators uh, that I was reading in Exodus in the past months as we're preaching through this book in our church, uh, Riken, he, he describes this moment. And he says, Abraham knew God was a promise maker. Moses came to know him as a promise keeper. The promise that he gave to Abraham to have a land uh, of his own, to have an offspring uh, of his own with his name on it, and, and to have God's blessing had really not come to fruition. I mean, sure, they were growing in numbers in Egypt, but they had no land of their self. They were not blessed in the least. Uh, and the, the offspring that they did have were being killed by Pharaoh in the early chapters of Exodus doesn't look like the blessing that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 was coming to fruition. And yet God said, I made a promise then, and I will bring it about. I am God. I am the almighty God of the past, and that same power will be at work among you. Abraham never saw those promises. He heard the promises, but he never saw them. Moses is going to begin to see them come to fruition. And we need to remember that as well, that God is the almighty God of our past as well. And if you're a believer here this morning, you just need to look back to your salvation. The moment in which God revealed himself as who he is and what he's done in the past. The moment when your eyes were opened and your ears were opened to hear and believe and your heart was softened to know the scriptures, to repent and believe and to be saved God, that God who softened your heart and opened your eyes is the same God you worship today. And though you may feel distant from him this morning because of all of the afflictions and oppression that are going on and the hardships in your life, trust me, the same God that saved you and brought you from death to life back then 
is the same God you worship this morning. Don't forget it. Remember what all that He has done, maybe not even in your salvation, but even in addition to your salvation, amazing things that He's done for you in the past. My wife and I and our family are going through a, a journey of adoption to adopt uh, internationally, and it's been a long, uh, over two years process that we've been going through. And I know it could be much longer than that. Uh, and it hasn't been easy. And yet we need to just look back when we hear, like we were told this past month, that we weren't matched with children uh, to move forward with adoption. We just need to look backwards a little bit and to remember God's clear calling on our life to move forward in this journey. We just need to remember God's faithful provision up to this point. And if he's called us to it, to this, then he will lead us all the way through it. And God right now is, is jealous for his worship of our hearts. And he'll allow anything to go on in our lives so that we will trust him fully along the way. And we're looking forward to that time when we get to be united with our children, but we can't miss out on these moments where we have the opportunity to look to the Lord in the midst of hardship. Just look to the past and look, as his, look at his provision over and over. But not only does he reveal himself as the almighty God of the past, but the living God of the present. In chapter 6, verse 5, Moreover, God says, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. He goes back and, and reminds them of chapter 2, verse 24, where there God heard, remembered, saw, and knew their affliction. In Exodus chapter 3, when God told Moses, I've heard, saw, remembered, and know their affliction. Go and deliver them. And he repeated that to the people in chapter 4, verse 31. I've heard, seen, know, remembered their affliction. God's saying to Moses, I know, and I'm alive and well. I'm not dead. Uh, I'm not powerless in this moment. Uh, I'm not distant even in this moment. I'm here. I'm alive and well. He's the living God of the present, and, and yet we need to hear that as well. Though it seems that God is distant, the Bible's very clear that he's not far from any of us. And though it may seem as if God is dead and not working and doing anything that you've asked him to do in these moments and in these hard times, God's not dead. He's alive and well. He's Yahweh. He is the living God of the present, and we need to be encouraged by that. To know that even though he may not be answering you in this moment, or at least even answering you like you would like him to answer you, he hears you. He hears your cries every time you fall asleep praying at night. He sees your struggle, whether it's in your schools with your friends, whether it's in your classrooms as teachers, whether it's in your homes with your children, with your spouse, with your family or at your job, in your neighborhood, wherever it is, he sees you in that place. Seven plus billion people on the planet, and he hears and sees every single one of them. Only Yahweh, only the living God of the present could do something like that for you. And yet he can. He remembers. He remembers your salvation if you're a believer in Christ. If you're not a follower of God, a child of God, you haven't put your faith in God. He knows every moment of your past getting you to this point, knowing that you would hear this truth about who he is so that you might believe him today. 
He hears and remembers all of it. He knows the journey that he's called you on to be a, a family with five kids in the midst of all of the struggles that you're having. So many new babies in this church, which is such a great joy to look out to and to have amongst you. And yet it's hard. And he remembers calling you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God and to make disciples. And he'll equip you to be able to do that. He remembers all of those promises that he gave. And he will fulfill them. He's the living God of the present. We need to trust him in that. But then he says that he's the redeeming God of the future in verses 6 through 8. Say, therefore, therefore, because he's the almighty God of the past, because he's the living God of the present, say, therefore, and just look at this. I'm going to read it, but just count how many times he says, I will. Therefore, I will do this. Verse 6, he says, say, therefore, to the people of Israel, again, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the people uh, to them. People, I will, I'm sorry, I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now, if you're counting like I asked you to, how many did you get? There's seven. Seven times. Therefore, he says, I will do these things for you, making not new promises, but just telling them, I'm going to fulfill these old promises that I've given you. I will, he says. And these seven I wills are really describing, I think, four specific things that we see. And the first one is of deliverance. As the redeeming God of the future, he he describes that he will deliver them. In verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will, there's the word, deliver you from slavery to them. God was promising that he would do what he had promised that he would do, that he would deliver them. And as he was declaring, I am the Lord Yahweh, he was promising that what he said would come about. It wouldn't be left aside. He wouldn't throw that promise away and say, never mind. He wouldn't go back on it. He would bring about their deliverance. He would take them out of Egypt, take them to the promised land, and deliver them from the slavery that they were facing in that moment. He's the deliverer. And not only that, but he is the redeemer. The redeeming God of the future describes what he'll do as redemption. In the middle of verse 6, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And deliverance is one aspect where he will bring them out, but the way he will bring them out is through redemption, that he will pay for them, that he will purchase them and bring them out of that place. The word for redeem in Hebrew is ga'al, which is the word that we, you might be familiar with, familiar with uh, as kinsman redeemer. Maybe in going through the book of Ruth, I think you have as a church or... Uh, Our church has been reading through Leviticus (laughs) this 
past uh, little bit of time as we started in Exodus and read Leviticus. And throughout that book, kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is one who uh, would do the part of the next of kin, for the next of kin. If a woman was married to a brother and the brother died, the other brother would marry the woman so that that child could have kids and be taken care of in their family. Or a kinsman redeemer might buy back someone in their family who has sold themselves into slavery so that they could enjoy the freedom that they uh, were given by God. And, And so this kinsman redeemer was a special person in the life of Israel Uh, And even though the law hadn't even been given yet, we see a picture of God being this kinsman redeemer. And when it talks about God, it's describing him as our next of kin who acts on our behalf to redeem us from death and bondage and exile. This is why Job, even earlier than Exodus is being written, he says, for I know that my redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth. Church, you need to remember that God is our Redeemer. And He has and will purchase us. And will accomplish and finish that that purchase by His return to take us to be with Him in the end. And so be encouraged. The redeeming God of the future will deliver you. He will redeem you. And then He'll adopt you. In verse 7, He says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Not only did he deliver them and pay for them to be redeemed out of there, that would be enough. That would be good enough. And and that's even more than we deserve. That he deliver us from that and deliver Egypt from that and pay for that. But then he goes another step further and says, I'll be your God and you will be my people. They have a relationship. It's not just a transaction that God just gets us out and then leaves us there, but it's a relationship. There is a family relationship here. Israel is known as the children of God. He brings them in. They will be known as his people and he will be known as their God. And just imagine that beautiful picture of adoption. Maybe some of you have adopted or you know someone who has. Maybe you yourself were adopted and you were brought into a family that was not your own and and at very high cost, but one that that they were willing to to make and was really of no sacrifice of the parents. They paid that, that cost to be able to pay the legal fees to be able to make you their own to give you their name so that they could be your parents and and that you could be their child or or that that child could be your child and that you would be their parent. It's a special relationship. And church, remember that you are an adopted child of God. You are His children. You you are in Christ, brothers and sisters uh, of the Son of God. That's good news. Because we know that when God gives you his name, your name can never be taken from him. And though it may feel like you're not a child at certain times, and that your father's not taking care of you at times, trust him, he is. He's looking over you. He knows everything going on, just like our little children at times don't think that mommy and daddy are looking out for their best interests. 
They're not giving them what they want in their time. And, and, and sometimes we have to discipline and punish because of things that they've done so that they will keep their eyes on, on who their God is at different times. We still love them, don't we? We still care for them or doing what we feel is best for them. And God, so much more than us as parents, is doing that for us as his children. He's adopted us. A redeeming God of the future has adopted us into his family. And not only though adopted, but he's given us an inheritance, deliverance, redemption, adoption, and then inheritance in verse 8. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. He's saying, I will give you what I told you I would give you so long ago. I have an inheritance stored up for you that you can't even imagine that is described as a land flowing with milk and honey. And early, Later on, they'll send the spies in there and they'll say, it's the greatest land we've ever seen. But there's giants there. We're scared. We're too, we, we can't go there. And yet they bring back the fruits of the land and say how amazing this place is. They can't even imagine it right now in this moment. And yet God says, I have it. And the same is true of us, that we have an inheritance stored up for us. And the good news, God is revealing himself in the Old Testament here to Moses at this time. But if you're a Christian here this morning, Christ has revealed God in these very ways to us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And He's shown us that God is Almighty and that Jesus is, is Almighty Himself, being God Himself. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to, go, to come. The Almighty, Jesus says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God showing Himself as the Almighty God of the past to Moses. Jesus tangibly showing us that He's the Almighty God of the past Himself. Not only is Jesus the Almighty God of the past as well, but He's the living God of the present. Uh, He, multiple times in the Gospel of John, says the very same words that God says here. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine, Jesus says, declaring that He is the tangible image of the invisible living God of the present. And isn't His name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He is with you, church. Here in Graham, there in your home, as you go to your job, as you travel around, He's here. He's in this place for you to hold fast to and to stand firm on. And so trust Him. He is the Almighty God of the past. He's the living God of the present. But He's the redeeming God of the future as well. He has promised that He would do these things for His people. He he delivers us from sin. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says of Mary that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save, deliver his people from their sins. Remember church, you've been delivered. And if you're here this morning considering who Christ is, still wrestling on whether or not you want to call yourself a Christian and follow Jesus as Savior, 
you need to know that you need to be delivered from your sin. You need to be saved. We all did at one point. But thanks be to God, many of us saw who Jesus was and we trusted and believed in Him to deliver us from our sin. And Jesus not only delivers us, but He redeems us uh, like God said of Himself. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 through 25. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward if you will, as a propitiation or a payment by His blood to be received by faith. Jesus was God's payment to redeem us back. And in the text of Exodus, it says that God would with an outstretched arm redeem His people with great acts of judgment. Was it not Christ who with outstretched arm on the cross was nailed and pierced for our transgressions to shed His blood to be the payment for you and for I and for all of those who would believe in His name. Christ redeems us with His outstretched arms shedding His blood for us. And He purchases us, us for God to adopt us. Galatians 4, 4-5 through says, But when the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It was Christ, the image of the invisible God of the Old Testament, who purchased us and brought about our adoption into God's family so that we could be brothers and sisters of Christ. And He has an inheritance stored up for you, church. Remember that. We don't have a promised land here on this earth that we're going to one day. There's no special place or special country that we need to travel because we are the people of God and yet He has an inheritance stored up for us. Blessed be the God, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-5. through Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just like Israel, church, you have an inheritance, a promised land, if you will, a new kingdom, and a new heavens, and a new earth that are yours, unfading, undefiled, waiting for us. Christ, at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. And that should encourage us this morning, church. We should feel that burden just lifted as we heard of who God is and who Christ is for us. We ought to look with hope into the midst of that, those those afflictions and oppressions that we find in our bubble and realize that if we come to Christ, that His burden is not weary, that He will take that from us because His is easy and light because He has accomplished it. So we ought to be encouraged by that. And it's these truths, these simple reminders, nothing new, I've told you. Same things David's preached to you, same things Ryan's preached to and others have preached to you. Nothing new this morning. I know same old truth this morning. And yet, those are the exact things that we need. 
reminders over and over for us to go back and to live as the people of God and to do what He's called us to do, to look back to Him. Not look at our little circle and our little bubble, but to look to the Lord. That's exactly what Moses does. And he's encouraged and he's emboldened and he's strengthened and he goes back to those people and he says exactly what God told him to say in verse 9. Moses spoke to the people in hoping that they would believe him and worship and there'd be a whole other revival after the revival that they had two days earlier in chapter 4, verse 31. But verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They didn't listen. Their eyes were on their broken spirit and their harsh slavery right in front of them. They, they had forgotten who that God had remembered and heard and saw and seen them in, the, in, in those moments. And they looked to their immediate instead of looking their eyes to the Lord. And they didn't believe. They didn't trust They began to complain and and didn't obey Moses in the midst of him coming to deliver them. They didn't listen to them. And it's at this point that we need to say, who who are we? In comparison to who God is, who are we? And this text shows us a little bit of who we are. We're broken. We're under harsh slavery. And and we'll see a little bit later as Moses is is described as unclean. It says that they didn't listen because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And I want you to just notice, if we just tease these things out just a little bit, we see that these things are the exact opposite of who God was described as just earlier. God's not broken. He's the almighty God of the past. We're powerless, uh, I have in your notes. We're powerless and broken in spirit. But God is the almighty God of the past. The people of Israel are being described the exact opposite of God just in the previous passage. And the same is true of all of us apart from the Lord. Thanks be to God that with the Lord we can be described differently. But apart from the Lord, uh, as an unbeliever, considering maybe the claims of Christ, powerless and broken in spirit. And the same is true if you go out trying to do anything in your own efforts This week as a Christian, powerless. We need to remember that. Not only that, but we're dead and slaves to sin. It said that they didn't listen because of a broken spirit and harsh slavery. And if we know our Bibles, we know that the Bible describes us as slaves to sin. Dead to sin in our trespasses with no hope of life. And it's at this moment where we begin to compare who God is, to who we are, and there's really no comparison. And it begins to be very silly for us to trust in ourselves to bring about our own deliverance in whatever affliction we're facing, in whatever hardship we go into. We begin to trust our own strength, our own pocketbooks, our own abilities, Uh, our wisdom, our knowledge. We begin to trust those things, and yet compared to God, they're their silliness. They're, they're nothing in, in comparison to who God is. And so this morning, I hope as we see who we are and who God is, we fix our eyes on Him again. 
Maybe this morning for the very first time, you put your eyes on the Lord and seeing His greatness as has been told to you for the weeks in the past that you've heard from your pastors and you're hearing just again from me this morning. Trust the Lord to deliver you from your sin. Trust the Lord to deliver you from the situation that you find yourself in. But even if He doesn't today or tomorrow or the next, know that He's delivered you from your greatest need. If you will put your faith and trust in Him and repent of your sins, He's delivered you from the utmost uh, greatest need that you have in your life, which is being a slave to sin. We need to realize that we're unable to save ourselves and unworthy to receive salvation. And compared to the Almighty God of the past, we're powerless. And compared to the living God of the present, we are good as dead in our slavery. We need to remember Colossians chapter 3, verse 1-4. through four. If then you, church, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Church, look to God. Set your eyes on Him. Don't look to the things of this world to bring about your deliverance. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, setting our eyes on Jesus, it says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember, church, that Christ is alive and well. Let's set our our eyes on Him. As you go out in the midst of these struggles and hardships that you face, look to Him. Trust Him in those moments. Cry out to Him. He hears you. He sees your, your situation and knows you full well. But then he goes on to describe Moses. We see one more aspect of who we are before God. In verse 10, So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. Same thing he'd been telling him. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips or unclean lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Same thing he'd been telling them. Same old song. To bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And church, we've been given the same call week in after week out as followers of Christ to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us and to remember that surely He is with us always to the very ends of the age. God said to Moses, Go, go do what I told you to do. As a child of God, I sent you to deliver them with this message. Go and do it. And Moses steps back. Now eyes not fixed on the Lord. Who are they fixed on? Israel and Pharaoh. They won't believe me. Why do I think that Pharaoh's going to believe me? 
Moses is falling prey to the same thing the people of Israel did, and God says, go. We need to remember that we've been called to go, to go and to bring about the same deliverance that we ourselves have received in others, ministers of reconciliation, because we've been reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There was another person who had these same words on their lips. Moses said, I'm of uncircumcised lips. Isaiah said, the very same thing. When he saw the glory of God revealed to him in Isaiah chapter 6, the foundations of the, the, the temple shook. He saw the holy seraphim in front of them. He saw you know, angels worshiping. And it was the greatest display of God's glory that he had ever seen. And in that moment, the only thing he could say is, woe is me. When he compared who his God was, with who he was in that moment, the only thing he could say was, woe is me. The only thing that we could say in the presence of our God is, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah saw the Lord, as Moses saw the Lord in in these words, he said, woe is me. We ought to be able to say the same things this morning. Woe. Woe is me, God. You are great. You are awesome. We trust you. Moses, or uh, Isaiah from there said that the angel took a, a coal from the fire and he brought it to Isaiah and he touched his lips and said that he's no longer guilty and that his sins are atoned for, which is exactly what's happened for us as believers in Christ. We've been made guiltless. We, our sins have been atoned for and paid for. And in light of that happening, when Isaiah heard God say, who shall we send? And who will go for us? Isaiah couldn't help. Just like Moses ran back to the people to say, I'm going to deliver you. God's going to deliver you. Isaiah couldn't sit in his seat any longer. And he said, I'll go. Send me. Here I am. And when we see the greatness of our God and and all that has been done for us as his children, we can't sit in our chairs any longer. We have to say, here I am, God. Send me. I'll go to my work. And I'll stand up for Christ when no one else is. I'll share the gospel with my neighbor because no one else is going to. I'll, I'll say, speak the truth in love when everyone else around me is believing what the, world, the lies the world is telling them. I'll love my spouse well. I'll disciple my children well. I'll run and fight sin with all that I have. And I'm going to live the life that you've called, to, called me to live, to bring about the deliverance of others. And so, church, don't only be encouraged in your own little bubble as you go back home and face the hardships that you face, remembering that God is the, the almighty God of the past and the living God of the present and the redeeming God of the future. But remember, as you go out into the world, that the same God that is with you in the midst of your struggles in life. He's the same God that is with you always to the very ends of the age as you go out to make disciples and to be the church in the world. Remember, like my friend Julie in 
the Central Asian country as a missionary, just remembered that simple reminder to keep her eyes on the Lord. I hope this morning that you'd keep your eyes on the Lord. Look to Him, as Harold read from us in Psalm uh, 127, uh, or 123, keep your eyes on the Lord. Have mercy on us, O God, and know that He's with you all of the days of your life. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. That we, woe are we, God. We know that we can't stand in your presence apart from what you've done for us. We know that we have not brought about our own salvation and our own redemption, but you have brought it about for us. We know that we were powerless and dead to sin, slaves even. We know that we were unclean, and yet you saw fit to send your one and only Son to deliver us, redeem us, purchase us, and adopt us, and storing up an inheritance for us. So God, this morning, we look back to where we may have not been looking lately. God, we look to you. Help us to get our mind and our eyes off of our immediate situation alone and, and look to you. God, let our eyes look to the hills from where does our help come from. Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Help us, Lord, we pray. Have mercy on us in the midst of these hardships that each of these individuals are facing that I have no clue of. And yet you do. You hear, you see, you know, and you remember the promises that you've made of old to be with them. God, help them. Show mercy to them. And God, help us as we go out like Moses, like Isaiah, seeing again who you are and how great our salvation is. We say, here I am, send me. God, use this church. Use Graham Bible Church to bring about uh, uh, Exodus chapter 4-like revival in this place in the workplaces, in the neighborhoods, in the schools. God, do a, an amazing work as the people hear that God cares about them and has sent their, His Son Jesus to die for them. I pray that they would listen because you've broken the bondage. You've broken the chains. You've paid it all, God. I pray that they would see that and repent and believe and trust you. God, I pray that you would grow this church in their love and devotion for you. I pray that you would uh, embolden them in their mission as they go out from this place, gathering together this morning and yet going out to be the church in the world. God, embolden them. Strengthen them. God, let them see a work that they haven't seen in the past. Not because of some new word, but because they've simply been reminded of the gospel. And they take the good news of Jesus Christ on their lips uh, and in their lives each and every day. God, help them, I pray, so that this church might be used to further your namesake to all nations, seeing people come to faith and be baptized, and seeing people taught of the greatness of our God and over and over and over again. God, we worship you. Jesus, we celebrate who you are in the, the midst of celebrating communion and the Lord's Supper. We thank you for your body.
and your blood that was shed with outstretched arm, purchasing our redemption. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who who empowers us to be who you've called us to be. God, let us look to you this morning and only you. We pray this in Christ's name.